I'm not sure about where you are, but where I live, it's a bit wet, a bit windy right now. So how about we escape planet Earth for just a little bit in a brand new episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly? Welcome along. Thank you so much for being there, for following, sharing and listening. My name is Dan. This is the Fun Kids Science Weekly, the only podcast that gives you a quick tour, a spin around the universe, uncovers all the science secrets lurking nearby and gets you back in like 25 minutes or so. This week, we are chatting to TV celebrity, business person and actual dragon from Dragon's Den, if you've seen that. Deborah Meaden is on with a way that you can win big just by having one brilliant idea. Well, some of the most brilliant inventions might feel a little bit obvious, but there's already been some fantastic ones, you know, turning poo into fuel or Ava Garci, she was 12, she invented a pollution sensor blade. So for me, it's those ones that you look at and you think, wow, why didn't I think of that? As we get older, we start thinking, yeah, well, we've seen it all. And then a child comes up with something you think that is brilliant. It solves a massive problem. It's going to make life better. That's what I'm looking for. Also, we'll take a look inside your gut with a series from our microbe pals, Benny and Mal, who are making big choices. All right, Benny and Mal here. Yeah. We're teasing out a few demanding dilemmas for you. Big word, isn't it? Dilemma. It just means having a difficult choice to make. You choose, like whether to watch a bit of telly or have a go on the tablet. Good example, Mal. And I've got your questions to answer as always. This week we're heading to Mars and searching through spicy foods. It's all on the way in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's kick things off with your science in the news. Scientists say they have uncovered the ruins of a tomb that's 5,000 years old up in Scotland. The site is Neolithic, that's how old it is, 5,000 years, and they say it's incredibly rare. They say 14 skeletons from that time have been found with some tools and pots. They also say it was mainly destroyed by Victorian treasure hunters over 100 years ago. How amazing is that? This thing that we found is so old, it was dug up over a hundred years ago. Treasure hunters had a look round and then they put it all back and we've still found it. That's so incredible at how history works. Also, let's stay in Scotland because a snake that's been on the loose for a year has been found. Emmett is a corn snake. It went missing as a baby but managed to stay alive on the streets, surviving brutal cold temperatures and even found its own food. He was then handed into an animal care centre and has been reunited with its owner where it had a warm bath and a very good meal. It's a very good boy, Emmett. Do you say that about snakes? Do you say it about dogs? I don't know. I think snakes, even though they're quite scaly and they look sinister, I think they can be quite sweet. So well done, Emmett. Also, scientists have been unpacking a supernova that they managed to see recently. Uh, Back in May, a star in the pinwheel galaxy across the universe exploded at just the right place that astronomers were able to see it. It's the closest one to happen in the last five years. Now, these supernovas are what happen when a star dies. They can shine five billion times brighter than our sun and they pump elements into the universe it helps with the life cycle of everything around us and studying footage of the blast has helped scientists understand more about it 
Let's get a brand new episode of Techno Mum on then. Uh, Techno Mum is one of our favourite gadget geniuses on the show. We've been with her for the last couple of months. She answers loads of your questions about gadgets and tech. This week, it's all about the cables that help our TVs, computers and phones work. Techno Mum Fast Files. How many telephones, computers and televisions have you got in your house? Count them. For telephones, televisions and computers connected to a phone line, even if wirelessly through a modem, digital information is carried to and from our homes by a network of cables that run under the streets. Transmitters at one end of the cable turn pictures, words and sounds into a digital code made of ones and noughts, whilst at the other end, a receiver decodes the information back into the same pictures, words and sounds. The old-fashioned way of sending the digital code was with electrical pulses, but there's something that travels faster than anything else. And that's light. Fibre-optic cables use light to send the digital code. It's sent in pulses down the cables, a bit like shining a torch in a tunnel. And I imagine a tunnel would be a much more peaceful place, actually. Technomom, with the Institution of Engineering and Technology, advancing and sharing knowledge. More from Techno Mum next week. Right now, it's time for one of my favourite parts of our podcast, where I get to prove that I do know a few things, that I can be a genius, and I know how to look things up and research it so you don't have to. This is where I answer any science question you send in to me on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. Really easy to do. You've got a record button on both of those so you can record your question just like this. Why do spicy foods taste hot even when they're cold? Orlando. Brilliant name. Why do spicy foods taste hot even when they're cold? Um, Well, it's nothing to do with actual heat. Well, it is, but it isn't. I'll get to that. It's all to do with a chemical and our body's reaction to it. There's an ingredient in hot foods, chilli, called capsaicin. And we have these special parts of our mouths called vanillioid receptors. They are there to protect our mouth. They detect heat. So we don't eat anything that might burn us, right? The problem is this capsaicin chemical confuses the receptor when it mixes with your saliva and it makes the receptor think that it could burn us, actual burn us, like it was on fire. But it can't because it's just chilly, right? So our mouth reacts like it would if things were on fire. Our mouth starts to water, we start to sweat and we want to cool down. So that's why spicy foods taste hot even when they're cold. Here's one from Ollie now who wants to move to space, I think. Hi, Dan. How long will it be until we can live on Mars? Well, China plans to send humans to Mars in 2033. NASA from America aims to get there by about 2040. Thing is, with heading to Mars, it takes nine months to get there. It's three million miles away. We have to wait until it's close by in our orbit. So it's at the nearest point where we could travel there. Some scientists think that we might not ever get there. But some say that the only way for the human species to survive is to do that. Now, we need atmosphere like we do here on Earth. We need water. We need food. We need to be able to make more food. And we need oxygen. 
Now, Mars is the fourth planet from the sun. Its temperature isn't too different to ours. The gravity isn't too strong. So we wouldn't be squashed, dragged down to the surface. We wouldn't be immediately scorched. We would need to make the right homes, though, with uh, oxygen. There's no oxygen in the atmosphere. So maybe we'd have to live in these big domes and pods with air pumped in so we could actually breathe. And scientists have also found ice frozen on Mars. So they think that using that, we can make more water, which is fundamental for human life, Ollie. So we might get to Mars. Who knows? We might first get there in the next, like, 20 years, and it will take us a little while longer to actually live there. Thank you for the question. If you have anything you want answered by me next week on the podcast, make sure you do what Ollie and Orlando did and leave it as a voice note on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly, and there is a brand new competition open, which you can enter. It's trying to find the inventions and the engineers of the future. And well, helping find out which ideas are best is entrepreneur and Dragon's Den investor off the telly who joins us now, Deborah Meaden. Welcome along. Oh, hi, Dan. Thank you for inviting me. You did well there not to call me a dragon. Oh, is, is that something that sometimes angers you? <laughs> no, I think it's rather fun. <laughs> Old dragons, not so good. No. Well, you're, no, well, I would never do that upon first meeting. <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, listen, I'm very excited to have you here and very excited of this competition. This is the Everyday Engineering Competition. And I wanted to ask you, in your years of judging, I guess, inventions and entrepreneurs on the telly, what is like the standout that makes a really good idea identifiable immediately what does it need to have well it's got to have a reason to be you know inventing things that nobody wants might be a lot of fun but it doesn't change the world and actually what we're looking for is sustainable inventions that are going to make life better they're going to make the world less wasteful more sustainable and help the way we're doing things and also you know hopefully reduce time and cost of doing things and kids are great engineers you know I haven't met a child that isn't actually already an engineer. Well, you mentioned sustainable inventions, and I know that this is something that you are very keen on. You push it quite a lot on all your social media pages. And in an age where still some people aren't that enthusiastic about admitting a climate crisis, what is it for you that makes it so important that we need to think green when we're inventing things over the next few years? Well, I think it's really interesting that actually a lot of the young people, a lot of the children that I talk to completely get why it's so important to be sustainable in the way that we live. Because, you know, there are not infinite amounts of everything that we want to eat or use or consume. So actually, you know, being less wasteful, inventing better ways of doing things um, is really important. And I think, you know, most kids I speak to, they absolutely get that. And I know they get it, and I know that they're always having ideas, which leads us on to this competition at the Everyday Engineering Competition. Just yes. to tell us more, what is it about? What can we make? So I've launched the Everyday Engineering in conjunction with the Royal Academy of Engineering, which is actually a charity that, you know, wants to bring forward those engineers and inventors that are going to really help change the world. And this is ahead of National Engineering Day. That's on November the 1st. And we're encouraging people to come up with a great idea. It could just be an 
idea. It could be a prototype. It could be an invention they've already come up with. And actually, you know, tell us all about it. And then I get the fantastic job of going through all of those entries. And then the really hard job of deciding which ones should win. Well, if we're talking to the person who gets to decide which ones should win, what's the secret? What kind of things are you looking for? Well, some of the most brilliant inventions might feel a little bit obvious, but there's already been some fantastic ones, you know, turning poo into fuel. I mean, that's absolutely brilliant. Or Ava Garside, she was 12, she invented a pollution sensor blade. I mean, you know, absolutely brilliant. So for me, it's those ones that you look at and you think, wow, why didn't I think of that? And children are so good at that. They've got fresh minds and open minds. As we get older, we start thinking, yeah, well, we've seen it all. And then a child comes up with something you think that is brilliant. That is so simple. It solves a massive problem. It's going to make life better. That's what I'm looking for. How practical do these ideas need to be in that we can actually make them? Because anyone can have an idea that's ridiculous and kind of silly and way beyond the imagination. But Yeah, in real life, it's not possible. Are are you bothered about that? Really good point, Dan. Yes, we have to think of a way and see a way of them actually getting into use. Time travel, that would be brilliant, wouldn't it? (laughs) But we haven't got a way of actually achieving that yet. We have to think about the engineering around it. We have to think about, actually, this is what we want to do. And this is how I can see us doing it. And again, I find, you know, kids are very good at that. They're very good at building things and taking things apart and looking at the way things work. I personally believe everybody's born an engineer. You know, we kind of learn how not to be an engineer, but it is, it has to be practical. And there needs to be a, a, a good use, a good reason for it to be, a good use for it, and a well thought out plan of how it can actually come into use. I know that one of the things the Royal Academy of Engineering are looking for is homemade inventions. So like, how simplistic do they need to be? What kind of examples of homemade inventions have been really useful to us through the years, Deborah? Do you know, in the den, I've invested in homemade inventions. They start as homemade inventions, but of course, once they actually get commercial, then they, you know, they turn into something else. But a lot of businesses I've invested in are homemade. So there's a brilliant business called Grip It. A young chap called Jordan, when he was 14 years old, was trying to put some blinds up and it, the blinds wouldn't fix to the plasterboard. And he and his granddad got together in a room and came up with this little device that was really, really strong, a really strong plasterboard fixing. And that's what we're looking for. There was a homemade device to start off with. It now sells multi-millions all around the world, you know, but it started in somebody's garden shed. That's what we're looking for. And and that's really important, isn't it, Deborah? Because so often with uh, these types of uh, competition and prizes that run every now and then, we're looking like uh, really highfalutin ideas that could drive humanity onwards. But you just want something. The competition is everyday engineering. You you just want something small that changes our lives in small ways for the better, surely. Changing our lives in small ways can oddly make a huge, huge difference. And it could be. It could be something that has a massive effect 
because one person changing their life, if millions of people think that's a brilliant idea, then you get a big change. But, you know, it doesn't matter how big or small that idea is, you know, the as long as it's well thought out, the end result is that it does make our lives better. It is sustainable. It wastes less. And also, if you waste less, it costs less. That's a good thing at the moment. So, so I think the whole competition is whether it starts in your kitchen, whether it starts on your, you know, in your garden shed. We're just saying, just find the inner engineer that probably was there when you were a child. You know, let's just find it again. You've been mentioning uh, green things and looking towards the future. How on earth can inventions be sustainable in 2023 and beyond? Well, they can be sustainable in many ways. So first of all, they might be something that improves things. So, you know, we need less and less plastic. We used to use a lot of plastic bags, for example, and somebody came up with a way of making plastic bags completely compostable. So that changed lots of things. That meant that there was a lot less plastic around. But also, if you change the way somebody does something, so it wastes less energy, for example, that can make it more sustainable. The product might be made of something that is sustainable. That you know, Take the plastic bag. It used to be made of something that wasn't, that doesn't biodegrade. Now it's made of something that does biodegrade. So itself can be made of sustainable materials. But it, it could also be that it just makes the way you do something less wasteful and more sustainable. There's so many ideas out there. I know, it's brilliant. I'm going to throw you on, Deborah, and I, and I warn you, every important person that knows a lot about business has always turned me down and said it's completely impractical, all right? But, but... Have you got, are you pitching to me now? Well, it depends. I, I, when we make new roads... Why don't we line them with solar panels? How, why does that not work? Well, that's a very good idea. Why don't we? Apparently, it's something to do with storing the electricity. So the problem is not in generating the power. The problem is that if you generate the power during the day, when less power is needed, how do you store it so that it can be used at night when most power is needed? And whoever solves that issue, there you are, there's a good idea. Whoever <laughs> solves that problem will win the world. And Deborah, I know that you're the one looking for so many fantastic ideas. How are the winners decided? Well, the public have their part to play. So three finalists will be announced on social media and a public vote will decide which has been the best invention. So keep your eye out for that. That will take place on National Engineering Day, the 1st of November. If someone is listening, Deborah, and they want to get involved in everyday engineering in this competition, what do they need to do? Well, by National Engineering Day, we're going to be inundated with people who have entered. But to submit your entries, so what you can do, you can Google or ask someone to Google for you National Engineering Day. And you'll go to the correct page on the Royal Academy of Engineering's website. You can find the link all over my social channels. It's all in my bio at the top of my social channels. Or you can click the link on the Fun Kids Science Weekly show notes. Hey, there we go. Loads of ways, including with this podcast. So, yeah, just look in the notes uh, wherever you're listening. And best of luck, Deborah Meaden. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thanks for having a chat. Cheers, Deborah. Good luck, everyone. Let's get to our dangerous Dan then, where we uncover some of the truly devastatingly strange and unique creatures and things that lurk around the universe. This week, we're heading into the ocean once again to take a look at the tongue-eating louse. Just by its name, can you guess what makes it so dangerous? Now, it's a tiny parasite with claws, really small. It can grow to only a few millimetres long. It uses its tiny self very, very well. 
You'll find them down the south coast of the Americas, from California really down towards Ecuador. Some float around other parts of the Atlantic Ocean too. And what it does, listen to this, it sneaks into fish through their gills, the holes on their side they use to breathe. And with its claws, it attaches itself onto the blood vessels that feed the tongue. And then the actual tongue, because it's not getting any blood, falls off. So what does this louse do? This this parasite. It jumps on. It becomes the tongue. Then it feeds on the fish's blood while acting as the tongue. The fish doesn't really notice, though. It just has this zombie tongue. Now, it's the only known case of a parasite working as an organ for the host and the host not really minding. How amazing and mind-blowing is it the way the animal kingdom works? That this happens, it becomes a zombie tongue and the fish kind of carries on with it. I guess there's not much else it can do. Uh, But that's why this brilliant creature, this tiny little parasite, the tongue-eating louse, goes straight onto our dangerous Dan list. It's time to get a new series on the podcast before we leave. And for this one, we are heading into your gut with our microbe friends, Benny and Mao. In this series, they're looking at some demanding dilemmas, big choices that scientists have to make, ethical choices too. This week, they're finding out all about the GM crops debate. Benny and Mal's Demanding Dilemmas, with support from Nuffield Council on Bioethics. All right, Benny and Mal here. Yeah. We're teasing out a few demanding dilemmas for you. Big word, isn't it? Dilemma. It just means having a difficult choice to make. You choose, like whether to watch a bit of telly or have a go on the tablet. Good example, Mal. And you might not know this, but an ethical dilemma is a difficult choice about the right thing to do. You choose. Imagine if you were doing a really, really important test at school and you could see the teacher's answer sheet. No one would ever know if you took a peek. So would you? Should you? Tempting, certainly. And here's where it gets really interesting. Some ethical dilemmas are about difficult choices we have to make about how we use science. You should. Dilemmas about science. Not sure I get what you mean there. Science is all around us. It helps us do a massive amount of stuff. But just because we can do some things, well, that doesn't mean we should. Like being a disgusting, naughty cheat and looking at the answers, even if no one would see you. Always wrong to cheat, if you ask me. You choose. I really think we've had enough of that sound effect now, Mal. <clears throat> so, let's check out the GM food debate. We all need to eat. It's something every person, animal, and even us microbes on the planet have in common. That's a lot of food. Certainly is. Trouble with crops like grain, fruit and vegetables is that they can be damaged by all sorts of things, like insects or bad weather. As you might have seen on the news, poor harvests can be devastating for developing countries and also affect the price of food all over the world. GM crops are genetically modified, changed at the level of their genes to make the resulting crops stronger, tastier and more nutritious so that more people across the planet can have enough to eat and enjoy better health. But changing the plant inside the very seed, I'm imagining a robot corn on the cob now, Benny. That's not really the direction we're going in, Mal. 
Genes are the tiny building blocks inside each cell, like the instruction book for how the plant will grow. I'm definitely thinking that I'd rather have a robot call on the cob because that sounds well weird. And that's the first part of the dilemma. Sounds well weird. Although, if something makes you feel a bit icky, it's worth trying to work out why. It just sounds like Frankenstein's monster creating super powerful vegetables that will take over the world! Well, now you're just getting hysterical. Think about it. Farmers have been making improvements to the food we eat for years. Cross-pollinating crops to make bigger, juicier tomatoes or make them resistant to diseases. And using chemicals on crops is nothing new. You mean our food is covered in chemicals? Yum! You've heard of fertiliser. That's stuff that makes plants grow. And pesticides? That's the stuff that kills insects. They've always been part of farming. And think about it. Everything is chemical. Even you, mate. Personal? OK. So farmers have always made improvements. But aren't some GM changes going a bit too far, like using cells from a liver to grow better rice? OK, that's really quite hard to imagine. And some people would say that's just taking the improvements one step further. But it's in a very different direction. One step further towards robot corn on the car! Certainly food for thought. And there's a few other dilemmas around GM crops. The effect it has on the environment, and who really benefits from it all. But we'll check those out next time. So, as you can see, it's a right old dilemma. A demanding dilemma. A positive brain-busting bioethical bamboozler. I wonder which side you'll agree with. YouTube's Benny and Mal's Demanding Dilemmas. With support from Nuffield Council on Bioethics. More from Benny and Mao straight inside your body next week on the podcast. If you have a science question you want answered, make sure you leave it as a voice note for me on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. You can hear loads of our brilliant podcast series. We've had a few today. There's tons more on the free Fun Kids app, on your smart speaker, wherever you get your shows and at funkidslive.com. And Fun Kids are our children's radio station from the UK. You can listen to us in some cities around the country on your DAB radio. You can also listen everywhere on the free Fun Kids app at funkidslive.com or wake up your smart speaker and ask it to play. Hey, fun kids.